Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Good morning, Imago Day. How are y'all? It's good to see you all. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, as Gina said, we got uh, baptisms coming up next week, so that'll be at 1.30 following this service. Uh, if you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you to plug into that. We would love to talk to you more about that. As well, the live stream starts next week, but you come in person, so what do you care? Uh, also, a, the leadership class that I'm leading starts today at 4 o'clock. I would love to have you there if uh, you at all are interested in stepping into leadership or God's sort of uh, tapping you on the shoulder about that. It's in person for the first one. The rest are on Zoom. And even if you missed today, we're recording it. And so we would love to have you step into that. So today we are talking about the life of David. We started this series last week and we looked at the fact that the life of David is, is not a moral story. It's not a story of bad versus good, but it's as Calvin, John Calvin, the reformer said, the life of David is a mirror. It's a life of faith that we get to look at and as we see it, as we read the story, it reflects our life back to us. We find ourselves in the story. So part of the story is to get ourselves into the story, to get it lived, not just heard, not just understood, but that you and I get it lived as well. And the challenge with today's story is that we are talking about a story that, that so many people are familiar with, right? The story of David and Goliath, it is a typical underdog story, it is a story that Everybody knows whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, whether you've read the Bible or not, most everybody knows the story. Some of you were weaned on this story, but you saw it as a cartoon with vegetables, and David was, I don't know if David was a cucumber or an asparagus, but, but one of the challenges we have is to not allow these stories to be reduced to those sort of Sunday school stories that are just nice and almost mythical that they don't have anything real to offer. And so as we visit this story, the, the truth of this story is that in a very real sense, we all find ourselves in these valleys of warfare at times, valleys where we are faced with giants who mock us, circumstances who mock us, places where we find ourselves and our faith looks so small, so weak, so useless and pointless that we wonder how in the world we're supposed to make it out of that situation. And that's really the story. That's where Israel, that's where the people of Israel find themselves when this story starts. They're in a place called the Valley of Elah. And it is a valley that is a very, kind of a wide valley between two mountains. They're not super high mountains. They're not like 
giant mountain ranges, but they're, they're these hillsides. And on one side, you have a Philistine army. On the other side, you have the Israelite army. And they're camped out against each other, and they've been there for a long time. And there is a champion on the Philistine side, and he is from Gath, a place within Philistine, that um, was, that, that name Gath kind of harkens back to the time of Joshua when they took over the promised land. And the area that they didn't take was this area of Gath, and it is a place where the giants were from. These were people who were very tall, very large, and as this giant, this champion who was excelled in warfare, he had, he had been a, a warrior for many years. He was extremely large. And he came out day and night and he mocked and defied Israel. And he called for a first man battle, which essentially said, instead of our whole armies fighting each other, why don't you pick someone to fight me? And if you beat me, then we will be your servants. And if I beat you, then you will be our servants. And essentially, the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel. And on hearing this, Saul, who is the king, and all of the Israelite army are dismayed and they're terrified. And the, the reality is that despite that fact that this is Israel's army and that it is filled with God's people, it is empty, completely empty of the fear of God. There is no belief, no confidence, no conviction that their God is with them. It is filled with the fear of Goliath. And so they have Goliath fear in the valley of Elah. And they are terrified. They are immobilized. They are paralyzed. And there is a very real sense that like them, like for all of us, we live, we experience these moments in these valleys of Elah where we are filled with awe and fear about these circumstances and things that come against us. It seems so big, so giant, so much bigger than our faith. And we can be easily deceived into thinking that we have nothing, nothing to offer, nothing to bring to the table. And so we cower in those moments like Israel. What do we do when we're in the Valley of Elah, when we're in a moment where we've lost our job, where we have received a diagnosis, where our relationships are broken, where life just seems like it is hopeless? And, and all the forces that are against us seem to rise up and to mock our faith and to mock our abilities what do we do in that moment? There, amen. So David, we looked at last week, David was anointed king, and he was anointed in a private ceremony. He is a young 
kid and he has seven older brothers and three of them are off to war. They're part of this Israelite army. David is at home with the sheep and Jesse is growing older, his father, and he says, David, I want you to go and visit your brothers, take some food to them, I want you to see how they're doing, check in on them, bring word back to me. So David goes, takes some food, and as soon as he pulls up to the front line, this event is taking place again, this daily event where the Philistine comes out, the armies are lined up against each other, and this mocking attack starts to take place, and David is listening to it, and he's asking, who is this Philistine, and what's going on, and, and he's, he, he's just sort of like perplexed at the whole thing, and he hears from one of the soldiers that, that if anybody is actually willing to fight this Philistine champion, the king says that he will give him wealth and his uh, daughter will be able to, he'll be able to marry his daughter, his whole family won't have to pay taxes. And David's like, well, that's really fascinating. And then he asked a few other soldiers just to confirm it. Uh, his brother sees him there, they get in an argument. And while all that's taking place, somebody realizes that, well, maybe, maybe this kid is willing to like do this. Like none of us are willing to do it, but maybe this kid will do it. And so word gets back to the king that there is this young man, David. And so they bring David before Saul. And you can imagine Dave, you know, Saul, the king, is sitting there going, nobody wants to fight this champion. In all reality, it's the king that is supposed to go out and lead them into battle, and he doesn't want to do it. And when somebody actually does want to do it, it's like a 15-year-old kid shows up. So nobody's excited about this. And as David shows up, he says to Saul, Saul, let no one lose heart about this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replies, you're not able to go out and fight this Philistine. You're only a young man. He has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion and a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, and I struck it, and it killed it. And your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And so Saul says, well, go, Lord be with you. Like, great speech. <laughs> but there is this moment where, where for one moment, this, this, this young kid shows up with fear of something other than Goliath. And it's fear of God. And fear of God is always a protest to all the other fears that we carry. That when we actually fear God in terms of reverence, not terror, but a revering God, a trusting God, a putting our faith in God, 
what we're doing is we're actually defying all those other things that threaten us, all those other Goliath giant kind of things that mock our faith. And so David is standing in the midst of the same moment that everybody else is standing in. But he's standing in fear of God and the promises of God in the land that God has given them. And everyone else sees a giant and despair and defeat and destruction. But David sees the battle belongs to the Lord, right? And so Saul pulls David aside and he puts his own armor on him and and if you were raised in the church, I wasn't raised in the church, but I watched my kids go to Sunday school and they acted these stories out, you know. They put on Saul's armor and he walks around and it's too big. And I'm like, they don't really w- w- do the whole story, right? Because there's like the cutting the head off and the, there, there's some pieces here that get omitted um, during craft time. I just, I don't know, like I... I kind of want to, I'm going to leave that. Um, so, so he's dressed him in his coat of armor and it's way too big for him. And David just says, look, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. And then he takes off his staff. And he takes his staff in his hand and he chooses five smooth stones from the stream and puts them in his pouch. And he grabs his shepherd's bag with his sling in his hand and he approaches the Philistine. And it's not a slingshot like many of us are familiar with where you like pull it, you know, this ping like slingshot. It was uh, a leather pouch with two very long strings and they would swing it six or seven rotations and when they released one string, then it would release the rock or whatever it was that was in it. And so he chooses these stones from the stream and And he goes out there against this giant that is in full armor, and he is just a shepherd boy. But there's something important to that, is in that David couldn't go into the battle being Saul. He couldn't go into the fight being something he wasn't. He had to go in being David, being who he was. And David, at this point, he is not a warrior yet. He's just a shepherd. And he doesn't, he doesn't know how to be a warrior. He's not a guy that has been in that kind of combat. But he's allowed to be fully David with God. In other words, he can be who he was. He can take what he knew. He can take the abilities that he had and not try to be Saul, not try to be what he's not. So he takes his sling, because that's what he has. And that's what he offers God to go into battle. And I think it's so important for us, because many times we're tempted, in a sense, to wear somebody else's armor. We're in a situation where we're going through it, and, and we look to everybody else to figure out, how should I stand in this moment? Rather than just offering God who we are. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be somebody else's version of a Christian. You just have to be who you are. 
with what you know, with what you understand, with the faith that you have in this moment and trust God. That is going to be enough. And so he takes the five smooth stones and he goes out to battle. And so the Philistine starts walking out with his shield bearer in front of him and he keeps coming closer to David and he finally looks at David and he sees that he's just like a boy and he's young and healthy and handsome and he despises him and he says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the, and the Philistine curses David by his gods. He says, come here, I'm gonna give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. And David says to the Philistines, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike down you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into our hands. And this fear of God, you go, where does he get that? Like, how does that just show up? And I don't think it, I don't think it did just show up. I think David knew the story of God. He understood the Bible in a sense as it was given to him and he knew the story of God but it wasn't in the sense that it was just a, a, a history of religious stories. For, for David it was God alive in the present but also God alive in the past. And that these stories were stories of God alive within his people. And now it was his turn to get the story lived. God alive for me now. And so it's a different battle, but it's the same God. So when he thinks back to Moses as Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt and the, and the Red Sea is about to part and he hears the words of Moses, don't be afraid, stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. He remembered the words of Deuteronomy that when you go to war against your enemy and you see horses and chariots and armor, armies greater than yours, don't be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. He remembered when Joshua went into the promised land and the angel of the Lord said, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And he knew the stories of Deborah and Jael and all of the stories, but this was his moment, right? He's getting the story lived. That was God alive then. This is God alive now. 
You come at me with sword and spear. I come at you in the name of the Lord you defied. And there's something about faith that, that doesn't compartmentalize God into a religious box, but that sees God alive within the story of scripture, but also alive within our lives. That that same God is living in our valley of Elah just as much as he was in David's. And it's in that moment that faith can rise up and our giants get right-sized. It's not that they're not big, it's not that they're not scary, but it's that they are right-sized in relationship to the Lord who fights our battles. Because our Goliath fears, those giant fears, those are real. There are threats all around us. And the valley moments of our life, those are real. But rather than seeing it as this is a moment where I'm being taken out, what if that is a moment where you now get to get the story lived? What if it is now, that was David's time, this is Rick's time, now it's your time to get the story lived? So that you can say, in the name of the Lord, I stand here, and he will fight for me. That you can, you can fear God in the midst of those mocking voices and trust God. I think our temptation is that rather than do that, we want to get some Christian version of our own Goliath and go toe-to-toe with the other Goliaths rather than rest in our weakness and trust in the Lord to fight our battles. Well, the Philistine moves closer to attack him, and David runs up to the battle to meet him, reaches into his bag, takes out a stone, slings it, strikes him in the forehead. It's a great shot. Sinks in, Philistine falls on his face. David runs over. He doesn't have a sword, so he borrows the Philistines and uses it to chop off his head. And then... The whole Israelite army is sitting there going like, what? What just happened? And then they realize it, and they're like, all right, we won. Yeah, and they rout the Philistines, and, um, and they win, right? They win. And it's, just, it's interesting because this story is 3,000 years old, so it's been told and told and told, and And even the medical community has been fascinated by this story. Uh, Oftentimes we see our giants and we think, well, they're so big and they're so scary, but they're not always what they seem, right? They're not always what they seem. So in 1960, there's an Indiana medical journal that is studying the scripture and They believe that um, Goliath probably has this growth, this benign tumor on the pituitary gland, similar to Andre the Giant, right? 
the side effects would be poor vision and compression of the visual nerves, so double vision, which could be why he looks at David, who is, has one staff, and says, why do you come at me with sticks, plural? He moves slow, and he needs the, the shield bearer to kind of lead him out, and he keeps saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. It means that perhaps Goliath is more vulnerable than we think, that just because they're bigger doesn't mean that we should always be terrified. Malcolm Gladwell also is fascinated with this story, and as he looks at it, he understands that the warfare that they typically did in this day was hand-to-hand. It's kind of like when you watch the Revolutionary War and they just line up against each other and they just shoot each other. And then everybody falls and then they get back together and they line up and then they shoot each other. And you're like, there's got to be a better way. Like, we should draw maps and sneak up on each other and stuff like that. But So that's what they do. Goliath is infantry. He does hand-to-hand combat. Saul's armor is made for hand-to-hand combat as an old style of warfare. But David has no intention of fighting hand-to-hand. He's changing the game, essentially. And so the sling they have studied, that within six or seven revolutions, the release of that rock, it's coming out at about 105 feet a second. And the rock in the Valley of Elah is twice the density of most rocks in, like, our area. So it's the equivalent of a 45 caliber bullet going 105 feet a second. So in one sense, you could say he's an underdog. In another sense, you'd be like, "Mm." (laughs) he's kind of changing the game a little bit. And so Goliath is not always what he th- we think he is. And I think we shouldn't despise the small things, the simple things, the things that in the hands of the Lord become powerful things. The giants are not what they seem. When you think of the first step of AA, that Our lives have become unmanageable. We've surrendered to God as we understand him. How how weak, how small that seems to the Goliath of alcoholism. And yet, how many people have been set free? How many Goliaths have been slain by that? When you think of sacrificial love and people who have laid down their lives in the courses of history that have been changed, not by powerful empires, but by the the one, the few that laid down their lives for other people. Fear of God and faith in the Lord is what right-sizes our Goliaths in light of the God that fights for us. And you and I get to bring whatever it is we have. We don't have to have Saul's armor. We don't have to be anything other than what we are 
And we get to live our story, right? So yes, the Valley of Elah is a scary place. And it is a place where oftentimes it feels like there are bigger forces that are mocking our faith and mocking our our very kind of salvation. But it is also an opportunity for you and for me to live our David story, to experience the Lord fighting for us.